The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Are we spiritual beings or simply biological machines? Assuming the former, how do we manifest an ethical model that transcends Darwin's mechanistic theory to incorporate the spiritual world as well? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by INS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today is Thomas D. Abraham, a Ph.D. student of cognitive neuroscience at the University, uh, City University of New York, where he studied motivation, reward, and learning in academic contexts. Mr. Abraham is also a volunteer and researcher with the International Academy of Consciousness, the IAC, a research and education-based nonprofit organization that offers classes and workshops on out-of-body experiences, psychic development, and ethics. Thomas recently relocated back to Colorado, where he's continuing his research at the University of Denver. He's an organizer for the Denver Near-Death Experience Group and has been coordinating local events for the IAC. He he was a presenter at the recent IONS conference in San Antonio. Thomas, welcome to NDE Radio. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm sorry, we've got Skype problems today, so uh, everything has been delayed. But So let's just jump right into it. Um, Thomas, you've been involved in the work of IAC in New York, teaching others how to have OBEs as a self-experience of consciousness. Would you describe for us something of your own OBEs, what you've experienced on the other side? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, You know, I tend not to focus so much on personal experience just for the... um, to not give an impression that this is some kind of special ability that only you know a few of us have. Um, what we emphasize at the IAC is that actually this is something that's accessible to anyone. Um, virtually anyone that you know puts forth the effort, applies the techniques, has the right um, mental discipline, and you know has the right habits in place to to really foster this experience. But um, for me. I did have some, you know, what we'd call kind of spontaneous experiences, um, you know, maybe waking up from a dream state, finding yourself out of body and slightly confused, not exactly sure what's happening. Um, and then I'd had a few experiences that I was able to provoke uh, at will, you know, applying some, some of the techniques and everything like that. Um, this was all leading up to the time before I, I found the IEC. Um, but when I moved to New York at the end of 2005, you know, this was something I was very interested in exploring further, and I found this organization. And, you know, from my first introductory lecture, I knew I was going to end up volunteering there. I just was so um, impressed with the quality of the information and the really the disposition of the instructors. And from there, I took the, the consciousness development program that we offer, which is a, you know, 40-hour um, training course that has a heavy focus on out-of-body experiences. And... Um, it really kind of gave me a lot of tools and, and techniques to kind of have a little bit more of a discipline to, uh, to the practice. And it was at that point that I started having a little bit more experiences, not just in frequency, but also in the, in the quality in terms of like my rec- uh, recollection from the experience and things like that. So um, maybe a specific, so, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so, when you when you go through one of these experiences, what do you uh, typically see? What what do you personally typically see on the other side? 
That's very, very variable, and I think a lot of it depends on the dimension in which you find yourself. Um, you know, uh, one of the, the things that we do is we try to have people have a specific projective target, and this will kind of help them almost uh, dictate where they go a little bit uh, and what they encounter. Um, and one of the wonderful targets that we can have is to try to target the time between lives, um, what we would call an intermissive period in which the, the consciousness is preparing for their next life. Um, and, and in this case, we would basically um, set a mental intention to try to reach this um, experience where we might find like ourselves in a, almost like a class, so to speak, you know, learning how to uh, prepare for the next life or doing assistance, this type of thing. Um, so, so in a, Thomas, in a case like that, uh, is the person remembering a past life the way they would under hypnosis, or are they actually traveling back to... to um see it from, from the spiritual side? Well, it can be both. So um, for one, in one case, we can think of literally trying to reach almost like a dimension uh, that you would have spent time between lives. And so we could call this like almost like your, your uh, extra physical hometown, so to speak. And this <laughs> is a case where you, you would basically be projecting and, and seeing perhaps even colleagues of yours um, that are also between lives, part of your karmic group, for example, uh, and you would be able to interact with um, maybe higher, uh, more mature spiritual consciousness. You know, uh, we would call them helpers or spirit guides, this type of thing. But as to your question about recalling a recollection of past lives, um, what we find is that when we are out of the body, because your conscious experience is no longer being mediated through the physical medium of a brain, uh, there's a little bit less identification with this particular personality, with this particular incarnation. And it actually renders itself to be more accessible to a greater picture of who I am, right? Because I'm not just seeing myself as Thomas Abraham in this life, but I have much more access uh, to, you know, memories and, and experiences from, from previous lives, if that makes sense. And part of that is because uh, I'm not local to my physical body, where that kind of egocentric, you know, uh, me focus is really present, such as in the physical dimension. So this is where understanding the larger consciousness comes in as, an, as a result of this experience. Absolutely. So one of the, I would say the, the end game of this is not necessarily to have OBEs for OBE's sake. Uh, we focus on the out-of-body experience as a tool for self-research, and also for, you know, really self-development. Um, and what we see is the, the crux of that is evolution, the evolution of our and maturation process of the consciousness, and assistance. So how are we aligning our lives to benefit others? And, um, and part of that realization that comes from having that out-of-box experience is that I am more than just my physical body. But I have a physical body, so then the question is why? Why am I here in the first place? Um, you know, and so it, it allows us to kind of get in line with what we consider our life task or existential purpose, um, however you want to phrase that. Right. Now, our mutual friend Gabe, who's also involved in the IAC, or perhaps is the IAC, has talked about encountering spirits on the other side, uh, ghosts, if you will, and some of them seem to be stuck now, when you're over there, do you feel some sort of ethical obligation to, to help them? 
Yeah, um, and I, I one of my recent experiences that I uh, was I was going through my journal and uh, um, looking at, and I'd actually read the transcript of it. I actually found myself in a well, you'd almost see me like an extra physical clinic, working with spirit guides and just kind of learning that type of assistance, in which they were taking less lucid people that had recently transitioned to death and helping them kind of regain lucidity, re- regain awareness to the fact that they've actually passed on, so they can kind of help them move things along, essentially, and, and detach a little bit from their attachments from this last re- incarnation. So, mm-hmm. yes, um, we certainly have an obligation. And I think that greater multidimensional awareness also calls us to a higher level of ethics. The more we know, the more we oblige ourselves to be assistential, not just to people in a physical body, but to all life everywhere. And this is the term that we call cosmoethics. This the greatest expansive universalistic application of, of ethics that you can think of. Um, but I think an important point there is that as we also develop our, our parapsychism and we're starting to become a little bit more aware that we are constantly interacting across multiple dimensions simultaneously, even when we're in our physical bodies, that that obligation does not cease once we've come back to the physical body, that we can actually uh, do assistance to that, those types of consciousness um, even when we're in the body, and we should. You've used the term cosmoethics, and it sounds very much like universal love. Um, when, you, when you think of each of us um, individuals growing out of consciousness through experience, do you see us as individual cells or genes, uh, part of a larger body, uh, maturing ourselves into a single body of universal consciousness? That is a really a fantastic question, and... You know, there's certainly some um, theoretical framework for that. Um, you know, a lot of people have a, a word, you know, they we maybe put it in religious terms of, of calling it God, or, you know, um, other people may refer to it as this kind of like the quantum mind, <laughs> what have you. Um, and and it's, a really, it's a really tough question because we certainly experience ourselves as individuals. And even with an expansive... Um, uh, let's say, conscious experience such as the out-of-body experience and realizing you're much more than your body, we still tend to primarily identify ourselves as me, even if I'm recognizing me as having multiple lifetimes, right? So it's, it's very difficult to even fathom what that would mean. Uh, however, some people do have experiences which we would call almost like a mental somatic projection, which is not a projection in this astral body, but is really like almost like the pure essence of their consciousness is no longer local. And, and, and in this case, um, you know, sometimes people call it a nirvana experience or cosmo-consciousness experience. I know several NDEers who have had something similar where they really find themselves not even operating in a body at all, but just interconnected with that love, interconnected with all things in a place where there's no time and there's no space and it's like equal possibility and probability all at once. And, and so there is, you know, definitely people that kind of have this perspective that maybe part of our maturation process is this de-identification with this personal ego and almost like a reunification with um, this grander cosmic scheme. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's certainly, it's an attractive and appealing idea. I think that we need to really approach it um, almost like a scientific approach. You know, we want to, we want to keep gathering experiences and keep, you know, codifying the data and, um, and kind of come to some kind of corroborative understanding of, of, what that really means. 
but uh, it's certainly a possibility, and it's certainly an interesting idea for sure. I, I know people, when I bring this question up to people who've had NDEs, they, uh, it's almost scary, the thought of losing your own ego. And uh, they say, oh, no, we, we maintain our individuality through everything. But uh, one of the speakers at the NDE conference uh, talked about um, how he was afraid of losing his identity. He felt himself being absorbed into the light. And at a certain point, he just didn't want to give up his own self, as it were. And I, I you know, I, th- I think that's possibly uh, a problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, and maybe, maybe we just have to reach a, a high, high point of spiritual uh, maturity before we can give our give ourselves up to the to the grander picture. Absolutely. And I think you know, a good starting point is starting to understand cosmoethics. Because cosmoethics is about, you know, putting all life on uh, and all consciousness uh, as having value. And it's not something independent of yourself. It's something that you're interacting with and that you have an obligation to. So to be selfless to some extent is really is, is part of cosmoethics, right? And in that process, we hopefully will come to less and less identification with our own little microcosm of the universe, our own little ego spirit, and can can really start to at least empathize with other consciousness and start to realize that we are interconnected. Um, mm. And if we experience ourselves as individuals, um, our thoughts, our emotions, our energies are interacting in this field and affecting all life and all consciousness everywhere. There, there's a, um, a monk, or I guess he's, he may be deceased now, an Orthodox monk in Cyprus named Doskalos who talked about our thoughts going out like spirits like, and he called them elementals but he said the nature of your, the spirits that you project the vibrations you send out for good or for evil really affect the whole world does this uh, sound uh, similar to uh, what you uh, when, when you talk about mental soma or cosmic ethics is this what, what you have in mind? Absolutely absolutely so you know, when we can say, like, a, um, how do we judge cosmoethics? Well, you know, it's a subjective bar, right? But we can look at the product of consciousness. What are we producing as a consciousness? And we have a term that we use that I think is brilliant because, it, it, you know, it finally gave me a word to put on something, this concept that I'd had for years of um, phocene. And what a phocene is is a, a unit of consciousness. It's a... It's a production of our thoughts, our sentiments, and our energies, such as our bioenergies. So you can think of this in our daily physical lives where, you know, you're producing a thought, you can materialize that as an action. But on any dimension, we are creating thoughts. Our thoughts have a, you know, essentially a frequency. Um, these are combined with the emotional qualia and the bioenergies, and these are interacting in, in multiple dimensions simultaneously. And these, these scenes have repercussions, and they are affecting other people, whether they're uh, explicitly conscious of it or not. Um, it still has an effect. And so you can imagine it's kind of like, well, if you go into a room and, and uh, someone had just had an argument in there right before you came in, you know, you can, sometimes you can kind of sense that vibe. Well, that's basically the the thocines, um that are affecting the uh, the whole environment, right? Uh, similarly, um, 
compassion meditation, for example, um, maybe having a really actually direct effect where it's not just affecting the, the meditator, but it is affecting their target of this feeling of love and compassion for all people, even those that are difficult, right? Um, we are creating a, a positive outcome, even if we don't see it directly, I think. So, um, absolutely. So, so you're, you're saying these... Um these vibrations are residual that they that they hang around for instance if someone takes moves into an apartment where a murder has taken place they may feel the negative vibrations without without actually experiencing the ghost of the murdered person yeah absolutely absolutely and they can actually become crystallized into what we would call a morphothocene or like a thought form uh, a good example um and Louis Monero talks about this um He's the president of the IAC. You know, uh, you could have an old house for, let's say, that you move into, and um, you know, you have an out-of-body experience, and you're exploring your own house during the out-of-body experience. You look on the wall, and there's this old painting on the wall. But you come back to the body, and that painting's not there, right? But then you find out mm-hmm. later on that, in fact, that painting had been there uh, for several decades with the old previous owners. And now that's the new house, they, in a new owner, they've repainted and everything, that painting is no longer there. So this is an example of how our, you know, with everyone seeing that painting for years and thinking about it and putting their thought energies towards it, it almost takes a crystalline form on another dimension. And it's, it's of course, more subtle than the physical dimension, but when we're in the out-of-body experience, we can actually experience and see these things as if they were real tangible objects. Um, so... Thoughts can actually be crystallized in a sense. And this is also a, a good point about having fixed ideas. You know, when we, when we start to create paradigms, and we create um, institutions that are, you know, promoting fixed ideas, these things can really become difficult on other dimensions as well. Um, and I can think of like any kind of pathological thought pattern that's anti-cosmoethical, you know, not only affects us in the physical dimension, but, you know, has negative repercussions on the other dimensions as well. Hmm. <clears throat> the uh, Buddhists talk about this as being, uh, this world as being like a matrix, a fantasy. And uh, I, I gather from your point of view, it's really uh, as real as the other side. <laughs> and that somehow or other, the two are interconnected and working together uh, all the time. Yes, I think that in a sense, those, both of those perspectives are, are real. So one thing that's interesting with, with the level of lucidity that we can achieve during an out-of-body experience, for example, we can actually have hyper-awareness, greater lucidity than we do in the physical body. And many people report during the out-of-body experience that that dimension feels more real than this dimension, that this is the sleep this is the dream, and over there is the, is the real life. Hmm. The way I kind of visualize it, though, is that the physical plane is, is really kind of maybe the densest expression of the consciousness, that all of these dimensions are interconnected, that, that we're, we're part of all of them simultaneously, but that, you know, really this is the densest physical expression of the consciousness. But it has a purpose. And, I mean, I think one, you know, kind of, uh, idiom that expresses that is the earth school concept, that we're all here to learn, um, to develop ourselves through restriction. We are much less restricted on the other side, 
But here we have, we're experiencing everything through this very limited sensory experience um, and with a very limited physical brain. Uh, our actions are limited, but this has a lot of affordances as well, and it puts us in different situations with different experiences, different people, uh, allows us to basically run scenarios, and, and hopefully through this process we are developing and learning to be better, better people in general. One of the things you uh, said in the talk you gave really struck me was that uh, all the biodiversity in the world, all the amazing differences that don't really get accounted for in, in Darwin's perception because they don't make, really make sense, if they are uh, all varying ways of consciousness expressing itself and just experimenting and playing with um, the physical world, it, it sort of uh, explains why you can have... Um, so much diversity and so much novelty in uh, in our physical world. Yeah, absolutely. And would we just look at human consciousness? Think about all of the cultures, all of the environments, all of the body types, all of the groups of people. There are so many different experiences possible on this planet. And that's why I think the um, reincarnation cycle, if you want to call it that, this multiple lives, the seriality is so important to our development and growth because it allows us to, to see both sides of the coin. Um, imagine in one life you were born in Palestine on one side of the conflict and your next life you're born in Israel on the other side of the conflict, right? You have the wounds from both sides and hopefully the positive things from both sides as well. Um, and I think that this is part of the teaching process because when we identify so much with our own little ego, we only see things from our one little perspective, this cycle actually forces us into new perspectives with new people and new affinities. And I think that's really important to our growth, which is also why I feel some of these projects that are being taken on by, you know, the technology sector for expanding life indefinitely are not only futile, but, but really kind of cut us off from that process. We do need new experiences. We need, uh, we need to undergo this cycle of death, and death is an important part of life, you know, um, even our own lives. Yes. Thomas, uh, we're going to have to have you back on the show because <laughs> this show is cut, uh, for technical reasons, got cut short. And uh, But for, before, we, uh, before we end, how can listeners get find out more about your research into consciousness and, um, and OBEs generally? Well, we have a journal uh, through the IAC called the um, Journal of Conscientiology, uh, this Journal of the Study of Consciousness, basically, um, JFC for short, and um, my work is published there, uh, as well as numerous other articles on the subject that I think are, are wonderful. And I would definitely encourage people to look at the IAC, the www.iacworld.org. Um, you know, we're 100% volunteer-based nonprofit organization, and we have some really incredible researchers there that are they're doing some fascinating work in this area. So, Well, you, your work is certainly fascinating, and we will have you back on the show, Thomas. Awesome. Thanks Thank so you. much. I really appreciate and the opportunity. If um, any out there would like to listen to this show again or any other of our previous programs, please visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about INS, please check that website at iands.org. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.